Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's go. Even just having that opportunity yeah. to sit down with somebody, even if you've had a brilliant birth, and say, I just really want to talk about my childbirth. Yeah. Like, can I tell you how I birthed like a badass <laughs> and brought my baby into this world, no matter how you did it? Let's give them a, a let's give them a, a chance to do that. What I don't want to do and what I don't want people to think listening to this is, oh my god, my child mouth breathes, oh my god, I think my child's got a tongue tie and they're gonna have ADHD. No, no just you, you don't you can't do that you can't We're go highlighting down the bigger issues yes here. you have been right for the last four years and your son needs to have his tongue divided but he also needs his tonsils and adenoids out because of how much he's compensated for that tongue tie which is everything you've been saying for the last four years wow and to hear that my hairs are standing yeah on listening to yeah that. hi i'm Ella McChrystal, and this is the new mind Today's guest is a bit different to anything we've had so far, actually. Um, But as you know, with this podcast, it's all about the story. And really, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. Everyone has a story. And a lot of the listeners I know are uh, people with children. And I think this is really important subject to cover in terms of mental health, actually, because as a psychotherapist, I have so many women and men that have had children that struggle with various aspects, especially in the early years of being parents, but also navigating their way through the the difficulties that can arise from having having children. So today's guest is Emily Worley. Now, Emily is a sleep coach, holistic sleep coach, and infant feeding coach. So uh, really important areas, actually, for us to talk about. But also, Emily has a story And I think a lot of you are going to connect with the story because so many of you will have gone through similar things that perhaps you haven't spoken about to anybody. And if you have, it will be a select few. So uh, my hope is that those of you listening will get a real insight into not only the the business that Emily's in, but also into Emily herself. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, you're very welcome because uh, we, we spoke on the phone briefly and we've spoken today and I know that there's a lot that you've gone through mm. um, that drove you into doing the work that you're doing, really. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of just asked you a minute ago where to start. And, <laughs> and you said start with a second child, actually. But then you said actually with the first, there mm. was, you know, quite a, a big mm. thing that happened in your life. So mm-hmm. I think, first of all, tell me a bit about you before children, just so we can get a, you know, a, an idea of who you are. And then we'll go into the story. That's a really good question because I was thinking a little bit about this this morning actually because so much you know when you do become a parent you are everything you do is for and about your children and you lose your identity a little bit but I think that I was just floating through life like I just I was really passionate about media and film and I love to act and I did a, a degree in that and did some acting for a little bit and then wow I did not know this yeah and then realized there was you you had to do a lot for free in that industry and I couldn't afford to do that mm. so but behind everything I've ever done my mum will say you know from being three I would pretend to breastfeed dolls I had while she was breastfeeding my brother and wow. it was I want a need to be a mother um and that was my biggest kind of drive and focus and it's a it's becoming that has changed who I am um, and I wouldn't say that it's what I thought it would be either. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. But before children 
you know, like everybody, there was a lot of kind of things that happened in my childhood and in my teenage years and things that I think shaped who I was. But when I think back to becoming a mother, I didn't know who I was at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So what were the kind of before you had kids? Because I know this is the same for all of us, including me. You you have no idea. You think you know how motherhood's going to be. You mm-hmm. think you know what kind of mother you're going to be, mm-hmm. and actually, yeah. wow, yeah. Um, it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, I I always I think I've scared quite a few of my friends when they've had children because I've been like, look, remember, and I probably have said the wrong thing. Remember, you it, you know, your friends are going to tell you how amazing it is and how wonderful it is and how easy it is. That was not the case for me personally. No. Um, I struggled a lot myself mm. in the early years. Mine's nearly 16 now, so it's not so difficult. But there's different challenges actually yeah. with teenagers. Mm-hmm. But it was I found it really, really hard. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons that when, when we were speaking, I thought this is ideal mm. because I know that a lot of women find it really hard and almost ashamed. And we're still not talking about how hard it is. No, we're not. And when we're just we're just pretending or kind of only showing people what what we want them to see but we're only gonna find that common ground with people and help each other if we're honest about how hard it is and it's shit sometimes yes and that's such an important thing to say you know you wouldn't change your children for the world you wouldn't go actually this life is not for me I'll I'll send them back not that you could do that (laughs) but you 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 know, there'll be times when you think that you'll be like, please, God, somebody take this child from me just mm. for a minute. Mm. Um, and that's reality. We're still not talking enough about that. No. And had I had people in my life telling me, I mean, the only person that ever said to me was my stepdad. Actually, he said they ruin your life in the best possible way, but your life will never be the same. And I was like, I don't care. That's what I want. Like, I wouldn't have listened, maybe. Um but there's been so many surprises and I wouldn't say that my motherhood journey has been smooth. Um, we've had a lot to contend with. And I think that, um, I've learned a lot about how my brain works since having children. And, you know, there's been a lot of self-discovery, um, since having the boys, but yeah, it's not been full of rainbows. No, it hasn't. (laughs) No, it really hasn't. And I think again, I know that you probably talk a lot about it to some of your clients or whatever, but I I think this is really important because I'm going to be a little bit open as well. And I think it's not to make it's not to put people off because I wouldn't change it for the world. Like literally, my daughter has been the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, I, I do get fed up with hearing about how wonderful it is to be a mother because yeah. it's not always actually there's n- nothing to do with the child no it's to do with your own experiences mm. prior and the things that you encounter during pregnancy and after pregnancy yeah which leads us neatly to you mm-hmm. um so you've got two children mm-hmm. two sons mm-hmm. and when did you have your first child in 2015 okay um, talk to me a little bit about well, first of all, the pregnancy, the mm-hmm. experience, and then what happened when you had your your first child. So, the pregnancy, finding out I was pregnant with Arthur, was amazing. I am the type of person that has to have control over mm. a situation, and I've learned more recently about why that that is. Um, but the pregnancy was was good. I think he was he was 
I was 42 weeks pregnant and the size of a small house. Did you say 42 weeks? Yeah. And there was still no baby. Wow. Um, and I, I actually started to think, I'm not pregnant. Imagine this. It's not happening. This yeah. baby's not, it's just, when, when is this going to happen? <laughs> um, and I don't, I'm, I'm again, I'm a researcher. I need to know everything about anything. And that's why my job is so important to me and why I'm talking about the things that I do within the job that I'm doing. But I did hypnobirthing course. I learned everything there was to know, but I did not prepare for the things that might go wrong. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot, I mean, there's so, we could be here for hours, but there's so much to say about kind of birth choices and you know, what you're entitled to, you know, having a voice during labor and delivery. And uh, ultimately th I was induced against everything I'd said kind of throughout the pregnancy. I'm not going to be induced. I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to do this. Um, and I think I was in like labor for a long time, about, it must've been 48 hours. And, um, I felt very out of control, felt like my body was telling me something and I was I was ignoring it and that people were telling me what my body was doing. And I ultimately that led me to not trust myself and yeah. my body um, because I was, I was so vulnerable. And mm. yes, I was 25. That's quite a young age to have children, depending on, you know, where you are in your life or, who, yeah. you know, how you feel. But I felt so ready for it. Um, but ultimately it led to an emergency um, C-section the C-section itself was was fine but my brain had not prepared for that or expected that like that was not happening to me because yeah. I'd done hypnobirthing yeah and for a while I wanted to burn every hypnobirthing book I, I ever bet. saw and I, I was so angry yeah um but Arthur was born um and it was like somebody had run me over mm not only because I'd gone through all of that, I'd been awake for four or five days. Um, Which in then, itself is torture. Yeah, exactly. And, and everybody was saying, you know, you'll be fine when you get home. And I remember being in the hospital and the, it was the height of summer and there was a door repeatedly slamming next to the hospital bed. And it was that noise, that repetitive noise that kind of sent me mm. in. I felt like I was losing my mind. I bet. Um, and it was mostly sleep deprivation, but then getting Arthur home was just um I just I remember looking out of a wind my, my bedroom window when I got home at a couple eating dinner and if they saw me <laughs> I bet they were like what is she doing but I remember thinking I'll never do that again I'll never sit and eat a meal yeah at a table oh my god what have I done you sort like, of felt completely overwhelmed yeah, by this whole yeah. life that you had ahead of you now. yeah um and I couldn't he, he wasn't feeding I was desperate to breastfeed, didn't even entertain formula feeding or bottle feeding him. And breastfeeding was, was agonizing. Hell. Yeah. And I, I had remember, that experience. You know, knowing what I know now, I know why. Yeah. And this is the whole kind of stories. If there was just more knowledge and support, yes. things would have been different and it would have saved my mental health. Yeah. Um, but it got to the point where I'd not moved out of a chair for three days and my uh, mom and my partner who he was at the time kind of said enough's enough we have to feed this baby and you have to get some sleep because this is um this is not good and I didn't know what I was experiencing with psychosis until I became pregnant with my second son and self-referred to a psychiatrist who diagnosed that but at the time um 
every time I went to sleep, I'd be woken with this kind of intense fear that he was dead. Yeah. And there was nothing anyone could t- tell me. Like, he's he's fine. I'd be like, no, he's dead. Yeah. And I'd see him and he'd be blue and it'd be, it was horrendous. So you were hallucinating. Yeah. And it, pro- and it was sleep deprivation induced probably. Yeah. yeah. But had I been listened to and heard and, you know, throughout the birthing process, you know, would I have, you know, would it have been a different outcome if I'd have had the right feeding support in hospital? If, you know, yeah. I do think about that a lot. And I yeah. did for a long time think I'd love to just go and be able to sit with these women that have just had babies and be like, in a few days, you may feel like the world is going to end mm. and that's okay. Mm. That's normal. Mm. It's not going to end and mm. you'll be fine. Mm. But what about if you don't ever recover from feeling like the world's going to end? And I don't think I did for a good nine months. Um, I was Which very, very depressed. really long time. Yeah. yeah. Really long time. I mean, nine months when you say that, mm. people just go, oh, yeah, that's, that's bad. But when you're living that day to day, Mm-hmm. feeling the way you were feeling mm. hallucinating mm. sleep deprived mm-hmm. thinking that the whole world is never going to be the same yeah. again that's a long time it is and it would start to manifest in things like I wouldn't I wouldn't leave the house if I knew he was going to be tired or he'd need a feed or he I was in I, the only way I could control my life at that moment was to control his mm. but that that babies can't be controlled no but that's that's so if 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 anything wasn't to go to the plan that I'd set it was my fault and there was something wrong with my baby mm. and that's not the case I thought and I know that a lot of people be like yeah I totally understand yeah. that yeah um but that's how I, I lived my life so it, it, I was just desperate for some form of control and it was I was in fight or flight I think potentially I probably still am in some ways but it was constant fight or flight all day every day that's how I got through yeah um and it it did it changed like I have a very close family very close friends I'm very honest about my mental health and I'm also very aware of my own brain and what triggers me so I was really able to communicate with people how I was feeling and why and that helped them understand that and I know that that's I mean I, I see it as a good thing but it's also quite negative for me sometimes as well because I'll know I'll be having these kind of thought processes and not know how to break out of them and things but um things did get better you know Arthur was was quite a poorly baby he had bronchiolitis on his first Christmas we were in Christmas on Christmas Eve until New Year's Eve for his first Christmas that was very traumatic um you in hospital yeah so he had to stay over for 10 days yeah and he was on oxygen um it was just and Christmas is my favorite time of year and I was like, this is going to be the best Christmas ever. Am I going to do this? And then again, it was like just another layer of that trauma. And that set me back a lot. Um, but when I'd, I'd actually said, I don't, I don't think I could do this again. But then part of my brain was saying, it won't be the same. Mm. And you can make it not the same. You know now what can go wrong. And if that happens again, you're you're prepared for it. And there's a way of you having some control over that. So we decided when Henry was, uh, sorry, when Arthur was about three, three and a half, no, about three, um, that we would consider having another baby. And I got some help. Um, I started some therapy and we fell pregnant really quickly. Mm. And I self-referred to my perinatal psychiatric team. Again, I think that's something that nobody, people would be scared to do like it's a label like it's a but I knew that I if I didn't have that support I wouldn't have this family that I wanted to have 
Um, and part of me wanted the second baby to heal and to prove to myself that it wasn't going to be the same. Yeah. Um, and you couldn't write what happened next, but it, it, yeah, it's taught me an awful lot of, of, of things about, you know, it's, but mostly it's taught me how many, how much needs to change Yes, in, in society and within our healthcare system. And, yeah. you know, it's, and that's what's kind of driven me into the job role that I do as well. But, um, yeah, Arthur, Henry taught me that nothing is going to ever go to plan. <laughs> so, so to, to recap, yeah. um, first baby, you yeah. were so like, this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened. I'm, I'm born to be a mother. I've been practicing this with my dolls for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Arthur comes along after a arduous and difficult birth and you have a C-section which leads to a little bit of postnatal depression. I say a little bit, a lot. Mm-hmm. Postnatal depression and then uh, psychosis mm-hmm. where you're experiencing all sorts of mental health issues including hallucinations which would have been really, really scary. Yeah. By three years, we're ready to do this again. I've yeah. got this. I know what... I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the second experience. Second experience. So again, pregnancy was was okay. I had a lot of sickness um, and convinced myself this time it was a girl because of how sick I was. You do that a lot, don't you? Yeah. Um, like analyze every symptom. Um, I felt good. I felt in control. I had a brilliant um, obstetric team that were on board with my um psychiatrist plan that I was going to have a planned cesarean section on a date that I'd be told way in advance to help me like okay that's what's happening yeah um things like they they'd made sure kind of around 20 22 weeks pregnant they said you're going to have a, your own room so they'll you know sleep will be prioritized like this is going to be in your notes like we know sleep's a trigger um and lack of sleep and you don't sleep when you have a baby um and I just felt really empowered and listened to for the first time probably ever in my life I think and I was feeling really good and then uh 29 weeks pregnant I woke up and my waters had gone oh my god so 42 the last time yes 29 this time so there was no you know if you've had a baby that was overdue and then they've had to be coaxed out you've had to be induced you're told your second baby is probably going to go the same way. I don't know how much that is evidence-based, but I was in utter shock. Like I didn't, I thought, I thought it was blood, you know, when you wake up, I was like, oh my gosh. Because your water's breaking for those that haven't had a baby. feels really strange, doesn't it? Yes. And I knew instantly from the sensation that it was my waters, even though I'd not experienced that with my first child, like my waters were broken. um, For you, Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my husband was on nights and the, the, it was just a very strange set of things that happened. Like I got out, I got out of bed, I put the light on and went and sat on the toilet and immediately grabbed my phone and called triage at the local hospital. And as I'm ringing, I hear my husband's key in the door. I didn't even check the time, but he'd obviously finished work and come home. And I heard the door opening and then he said that you just heard me on the phone. But his initial reaction was to just start clearing up the water. He was just like, what can I do? I'm just going to start cleaning. And I was like, I'm sat on the toilet having a nervous breakdown. Um, He's cleaning away. He's got the old flash out with a mop. 
Yeah. <laughs> and triage just said, you need to call an ambulance and come. And I said, I, I can't get in an ambulance. I've got my three-year-old in bed. Um, they just said, you know, can you take him somewhere and come down? Um, and what followed was a two-week stay in hospital, trying to keep Henry in. Um, steroids, magnesium, drips, that it's a whole experience in itself. Like it's a, it's a very strange experience. Um, but immediately was back to that place nobody's listening to me yeah I was having contractions the whole two weeks and I was simply told that that isn't possible and I was saying I love it when they say that and I was saying okay that's that's fine but I am um I was given buscopan told it was you know I was having bowel spasms it was an IBS it was an IBS thing you know and I was like no this is happening yeah um and they only kind of intensified um and they said, would you be up for delivering naturally if this happens? So I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. And then um, they scanned me and said that Henry was breech. Um, and it got to the point where every day I was saying, I'm having contractions. And then they'd ease off and everybody'd be like, oh, she's on it again. She's saying it again. <laughs> and I remember the night before Henry was born, I rang my husband and I said, I am in labor. Like there is no denying this now. These are contractions. Um, and I just remember losing my temper and yeah. saying, you need to listen to me. This baby's coming. Mm. I got taken to delivery and the obstetric team that were looking after me were in an emergency and I was left to contract and with a premature baby, no pain relief until the, the script that, I mean, I'm, I've since had all my notes back and kind of read I needed to know exactly what happened in what order um and the notes say that that I was in such distress that somebody had come out of theater to to check me and I was 10 centimeters and Henry's feet were coming oh my god um so I was rushed into theater um they prepared me for an emergency section with a spinal but then I was just saying he's coming now yeah so I was intubated awake and ponder a general anesthetic and he was born within a minute and a half um of of knife to skin um and he was born unresponsive obviously I was uh, under general so I didn't know any of this and it was very apparent apparently very quickly that there was something very wrong with him oh my life yeah um and nothing was really communicated to my husband and he just saw Henry and kind of thought I don't know if this is a premature thing or but he doesn't look right he doesn't look okay um and none of the doctors had seen a baby looking like Henry before um and he was taken to neonatal intensive care and then I met him maybe 16 17 hours later wow um and I knew as soon as I saw him that that he wasn't okay um and that was hard yeah (laughs) I'm sure I mean, I can't even begin to imagine, actually, mm. you know, because that's just your worst nightmare. Mm. Um, so those first, I mean, this is trauma mm-hmm. all over it from mm-hmm. beginning to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and after going through such a difficult time with you first. Yeah. And I can see you're really upset. So if you want to stop at any <laughs> no, time, we fine. can stop. Um but then to go through that, mm. and it, the fact that it's so, you know, upsetting still. How old's Henry? 
She just turned four last So week. this is four, well, four years ago and it's still raw mm. and it's still something that I know you, you talk about a lot, mm-hmm. like your 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 work is your life, isn't it? And yeah. so important to you because you didn't have anyone listening to you. Yeah. And, you know, this is after your first child as well, where you did know a bit more and, you know, you can almost understand it if it's someone's first. Yeah. Because they really don't know what, no. what to expect. But this was your second. Yeah. And you weren't listened to. No. Um, and I can only, I, I know some amazing midwives, by the way, but I know the system itself is, is mm, broken. It's not, it's not, it's never the individual really. It's, it's, I think, a lack of... I, I wish I had the answer there. People ask me this a lot because there's there's so many things that happened with Henry, you know, since he's been born that I talk about a lot and help other parents with. And parents will say to me, why? Why do we not? Why is this not mainstream? Or why? And and one dad once said to me, it's a lack of curiosity. Yeah. And it is. That hit the nail on that. Well, on that. I also think this because... <laughs> You sharing a bit about your story, and we're going to come back to it because I know there's a lot <clears> more to hear. But mm. I, I had actually quite an easy pregnancy and an easy birth. Mm. Um, I, I, I had planned a home birth, and at the time there was no home birth unit in Northampton. Mm-hmm. And on the night of my birth, um, there was no midwives available, so I did all of it on my own until wow. the last two hours where I had to go to hospital and paramedics turned up. They gave me gas and air, which I told them I didn't want. I projectile vomited, put my back out. So I was now in a lot of pain that, and I had actually interestingly enough, no one on the planet earth had told me that you can contract continuously. Mm -hmm. So I was expecting (laughs) a nice 20 minutes in between, have a sandwich, have a bath, watch a bit of EastEnders. Why not? Mm -hmm. Sounds amazing. Truth is water's broke 24 seven. It was, it was, yeah it was relentless Mm. the contractions did not stop there was no gap Mm -hmm. and it was all in my back Mm -hmm. and I could I couldn't I couldn't walk yeah I didn't go for a wee I didn't Mm -hmm. do anything actually Mm. tell a lie after the waters broke I did go for a wee but then from there I was stuck on the bed I couldn't move I couldn't walk Mm -hmm. and I was scared out of my mind because I was like this is not what I've learned again it's a bit like you yeah nowhere near what you've been through but I was still scared no and it's I say that people will listen to my story and think oh my gosh well I didn't go through that. Maybe I shouldn't feel as bad. Maybe I shouldn't. It's all trauma's relative. Like it, there's yeah. no, I'm not entitled to feel anything more than anyone else. And, no, you know, I, my best friend in the whole world had an amazing home birth with her second child and she was so low yeah. after and didn't want to tell me because she thought that I'd be like, well, you've not, you've not lived what I've just lived. It's and, interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And they were born three weeks apart, four weeks apart. So as we were being discharged from NICU, my best friend was having her baby. And because of how much I know her and how close her relationship is, I knew that she was struggling. And I said to her, it's fine. You could, you can feel it. There's, your feelings are never wrong. Like your emotions. You can't help it. Exactly. They're not, they're not any less or more valid than anybody else's. And, And interestingly, considering what we went through with Henry, my mental health was nowhere near as bad as it was with Arthur. Um, but it was a whole... It was a different type of reaction, I'd imagine. Yeah. It was... It, it, I mean, this sounds awful, but the recovery was better because I was sleeping. Because, yeah. yes, I was pumping breast milk every two hours and running it down to intensive care whilst I was still an inpatient but then when I got home 
you know, I didn't have a baby to look after, yeah. which is awful. But I only recovered physically a lot better. Why is it awful though? <clears throat> it's interesting that you say that. I Because I think that that might have saved my mental health. Getting sleep yeah. may have saved me. And, and actually coming home from the NICU, I did have this period of time where I was not okay. But everybody was so hypervigilant to my mental health when Henry was born, like yeah. my parents and my friends and the healthcare professionals, they were all, I could see everybody just like, when is she going to go? When yeah. is she going to tip? So you got more support because yeah. of that? Yeah, because I was honest about how I felt the first yeah. time. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the key. That's why I say, why is it awful? I, I actually, I, I kind of wanted to say, because I've said this a lot when I've told bits of, mm. n- nothing as severe as that, but bits and bobs of, I remember saying to someone about, um, my daughter didn't sleep very well at all. She wouldn't go to a cot. She wouldn't go to a crib. She wouldn't go to a Moses basket. She wouldn't be handed to anybody else. She mm-hmm. was very, very about me. And I remember one night where she had um, some sort of, I don't know if it was tummy ache or mm. whatever, and and she wouldn't shut up. And I remember there was a moment holding her and I wanted to throw her against mm-hmm. the wall. And I really genuinely wanted mm. to throw her against the wall. Mm-hmm. And I, I used to say to people, I know it sounds awful. And now I don't do that in case they've experienced that feeling. Yeah, I think... I think I'm saying, I know that sounds awful because I think I feel almost a little bit guilty, guilty yeah. that the reason I didn't struggle mentally is because my I was leaving my newborn in hospital every night and maybe that's like a, I don't know. But if it hadn't have been for Arthur, I probably would have stayed with him and, you know, yeah. but regardless of that, it saved me. Um, I don't know what part of it, but I was a lot better Um but it, it's, you know, being in, in NICU and getting a call at three in the morning saying he's because they would never you'd ring to check and say, how is he? And they'd never say he's fine because they can't. Right. They'd say he's lovely. And if he had been poorly in the night, they'd say he's been a bit naughty. Yeah. And I knew to pick up on different languages. So like getting a call at 3 a.m. to say, um, Hemi's being a little bit naughty. We need you to come down. Right. Or, you know, um, whatever had happened but yeah you'd learn to pick up um on different languages that different sorry different words that they would use and what they meant yeah I was there but yeah you're right I think nobody's had that moment where the child has screamed for 24 hours and you've not wanted to do something drastic yeah and, and it's, yeah. you feel ashamed to say it at mm. first but it's why I said it a lot because I thought well I wouldn't want anyone to experience that I think they were the only one so if they know that a therapist has had that experience then they might just go, okay, it's okay for me to say to mm. someone, this is how I feel, because it's likely that yeah. if a therapist has experienced it. Yeah. And also I'll say, I've worked with hundreds of women that have had that experience. So I can say, this is a normal reaction to not having any sleep, to also being completely mm. physically and mentally exhausted mm. in every single way. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean no. you're a psychopath. And I think that every mother on this planet has said, go the fuck to sleep yeah at some point <laughs> yeah. screamed it even yeah and and you don't feel good about it no. but we're I say this a lot to my clients like you don't become a parent and then not be a human being anymore yeah you're yeah. still gonna have all of those anger you know you're still gonna experience every normal human emotion yeah but because we're parents we feel like we have to suppress it or, or hide certain emotions from our children or, or, or not admit to feeling those emotions yeah but that's the worst thing you can do because yeah. you need we are still that person yes yeah. those those feelings and those triggers you know you don't realize how much you are triggered until you have a child and then you start to think 
I'm triggered because my parents were triggered when I used to behave like that. Yeah. And you start to kind of unpick this cycle of parenting and, yeah. and knowing what cultural the, norms. Yeah. And how that carries on being yeah. passed down again yeah. and again. Yeah. And I think that's one of the th- biggest areas of interest for me mm. is patterns mm-hmm. that we learn that we continue and me and and then we end up feeling guilty about it mm-hmm. but it's all we've known and it's in the subconscious yep. you know and our subconscious is 95% of our thinking I say it all the time so it's about making the unconscious conscious and doing something different if you feel uncomfortable with it but also normalizing certain things as well because mm-hmm. you know you you were mentioning there about the way you know, it's very, very normal to scream at your child or shout at your child. And if you look at animals, because we do go into the primitive brain mm-hmm. when we're extremely tired, when we're not eating properly, when we're not resting, when we're in pain, mm-hmm. we are now in the chimp brain mm-hmm. and we will behave like an animal sometimes. I'm not saying that that's okay all the time, but there are triggered moments, like you say. And if you look at a dog, when when that dog's ready for the puppies to go and the puppy goes to latch on for milk, the rah, Mm-hmm. You know, and and the yeah. puppy knows. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially, when you're going gorgeously, mm-hmm. that's what you're doing. You're doing what the animal would do, which is giving the signal. However, it can become problematic if you're not getting the support, yeah. and if you're not telling anybody, and if you're just trying to put on a brave face, mm-hmm. which is what so many women do, because they are ashamed that they're not the perfect parent, because that's all they know. Yeah, they've not been told that this stuff happens. No. So, you, how long was Henry in? Did you say? He was in um, the NICU for four weeks. So he, um, it became apparent in the first 24 hours that he, they suspected he had something called ichthyosis, which is a, uh, you can either acquire ichthyosis or you can have it, you can be born with it and it's genetic. Um, And there were concerns that he was deaf and that he had Down syndrome. Right. So he was, I mean, initially there to save his life he was on a CPAP machine and uh caffeine drips to keep him um his heart going and um he was amazing actually like he bossed the NICU period I remember looking at him on like day three and thinking you are gonna be a nightmare <clears throat> excuse me <laughs> I could see it in his body and his fit I was like you you are here to survive yeah and I don't know it, it was a it was like a a thought that just came into my head like Like intuition yeah and I I said it my mum was on the other side of the incubation I looked at my mum and I said he's gonna be a nightmare isn't he and she was like yep he is well and he is (laughs) in the best possible way but he so uh, congenital ichthyosis children don't survive that babies don't survive congenital ichthyosis and there was talks of him having a, a harlequin ichthyosis um and because he looked very harlequin and and not uh, expecting people to know what that looks like and I won't try and describe it but it's um yeah it's not they don't really look human right these, these babies and it's um <clears throat> it's hard to know I think because it was you know our, our small local hospital was even everybody was very interested in him and um eventually we got his genetic testing back that he didn't have down syndrome and actually the markers that he had for down syndrome were purely down to the fact that all of the skin he'd shed in my womb had stuck to his body and kind of misshapen 
the way oh, he looked. Oh, wow. And the reason I went into premature labor was because he was shedding his skin in my womb and the womb was becoming a hostile environment. My body needed to, right. to get him out. Um, and it's also very common for women that carry ichthyosis children to contract for weeks that they wow. told me wasn't possible. And wow. I was, took a lot of their... It was great telling them that that was a thing. Uh, <laughs> you were like, can I, was, I just let you yeah, know that this, you were wrong and I was yeah, right? There was no need for the busker pan. <laughs> this was all contraction. Um, so we eventually found out that he had uh, something called IPS, which is ichthyosis of premature, uh, sorry, yes, ichthyosis of prematurity syndrome. Uh, and there's a one in a million chance of him having that. He's the 18th no way. in the world with it. And the prognosis is good. Like he'll always struggle with his skin and his skin barrier. It's very hard to describe what his skin feels like. But if you were to look at him, you wouldn't know he had ichthyosis. But to feel him, he feels his skin is made very differently. And he struggles a lot with his skin. Um, well, what sort of symptoms does he have? Um, like eczema, that kind of thing. He has, up until recently, he had, didn't have any problems with his skin, actually infection-wise or, or eczema. But he has recently started with psoriasis. Right. Um but because the way his skin generates it, it it's um, it it thickens very quickly. Right. Um, so is it harder if you if you like like thick like a it's a tougher. It's thicker and it feels like sandpaper texture. Right. Um, and he doesn't absorb kind of moisture or like if he has a bath or he goes in the sea, for example, his skin is a nightmare right um but we had to learn all of this kind of as, as we went because yeah. there wasn't because he's 18th in the world to yeah have it. um and it turns out that me and my then husband had given him both given him that genetic mutation no way yeah so they were like we need to genetically test you two to make sure you're not related and I was like you're telling me uh-oh you're telling me <laughs> that there's a possibility I'm related to my husband and my child is in intensive care. Like this could not, please God, do not tell me. Anyway, obviously not. That's not the case. That must have been absolutely horrific. I mean, I laughed a lot when they said that. I just thought this cannot, this can't, you can't write this situation. Um, but ultimately kind of what, you know, he, like I said, he, he, he nailed the neonatal, neonatal period. He came home at 34 weeks gestation he was attempting to breastfeed. Um, I was struggling with milk supply. And it was then that I realized that he was tongue-tied. Yeah. Um, just like my first child was. Um, and I was it, so glad you brought up tongue-tied because I really struggle with I've breastfeeding. I've got a lot to say about tongue-tied. Oh, my God. I'm, we're we're going to move on to yeah. that. I'm just, I'm just really glad you yeah. brought it up because it, it wasn't really a thing when no. mine was a baby. And, and this is the problem. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and um, I was... Yeah, beside myself, I felt so guilty. I felt so dreadful. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. No, I, I, if it, it's hard to summarize what I want to say. But I think he, he is only we're only still battling with his health because he is tongue tied. Yeah, and that's made me very angry yeah. and I have a lot of kind of resentment. And it's driven the narrative that I'm pushing about baby sleep and that there is a normal and there's an abnormal and the more we know about what tongue tie affects and causes and the better because if it if if this education and this knowledge was within the NHS my son wouldn't have had 90 hospital admissions in the last four years with aspiration of reflux wow. um, and pneumonias and he wouldn't have been tested for cystic fibrosis and he wouldn't have had abnormal 
blast cells, which indicated leukemia. And just this January, he had a, a, a patch on his lungs that they thought might have been a cancer. Um, and actually, that all turned out to be an enlarged thymus gland because of the amount of steroids he's been on in his four years because of the chest issues he has. And it's very hard to explain why that's happened to him. And I think having the business has been what's kept me alive 100%. It's been my therapy. It's being able to have a platform to talk about what can be done. Like I I can analyze a feeding video of a baby and know instantly. I can't say your baby's tongue tied because I'm not there. I'm not doing the assessment, but I can tell them where to go for that information and the right care. And it's not as simple as there's a restricted tongue, we need to cut it. And yeah. that's the main... Yeah, that's you know, what they do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's about, it's a muscle. And it's the only muscle we're not rehabilitating when we're cutting. We're cutting it free, yeah. but not teaching it what to do after. Yeah. So these these mums are struggling with breastfeeding. They're knowing themselves from research that they're doing, that their baby is tongue-tied. They cut the tongue and they think that that's going to be it. And it's not. No. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's not. And obviously I'd like to say there are lots of tongue-tied people and children that feed fine and don't have a lot of symptoms, but actually there'll always be some things like as a tongue-tied adult, the things that I know I struggle with because of my oral function. Yeah. Um, But he, yeah, Henry was, he's only been so unwell because of that Um, and having to fight for him for the last four years to be heard and be uh you know it's got to the point now that when we are admitted I don't say anything I'm just like treat him and get him better and we'll continue doing what we're doing at home because um there's a thing called myofunctional therapy that helps you with your kind of airway and your tongue posture and you know um what's myofunctional therapy so it's 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 basically tongue exercises to strengthen your tongue muscle right and tell the tongue what to do when you're eating and you're sleeping and you're breathing your tongue's imperative to the way you breathe yeah. and we don't sleep well if we're not breathing properly that's right and what I am trying to say is that there are people out there that are pushing this narrative of of leaving your baby to cry sleep training yeah and it was it is the main narrative I did it with my first child yeah. you know the NHS will still tell you to do that that the the thing you have to do to help your child sleep is teach them how to self-soothe. We cannot do that. We're not capable of that. Mm-hmm. We're not capable of that as an infant yeah. um, or self-settle or whatever you kind of want to say. And I'm trying to say if your child is waking up every half an hour or an hour, they're constantly grumbly and unhappy. They're spitting up or they're being sick or they're colicky and we need to check what their tongue's doing. Yeah, We need to check how they're feeding. We need to check if their mouth's closed and their nasal breathing when they're asleep. Yeah. Um, and there are people making huge waves and doing lots of research about this across the world. Um, and it, we need it here. We mm. need to, because we're, we're doing things that are against our instinct as parents because we're desperate for sleep. And that's trauma for the parent and for the child. Yes. I mean, we know that trauma can begin in the womb, mm-hmm. but those first few months, I mean, I'm telling you now, I made a lot of mistakes myself. Um, Who doesn't? Yeah. And that's because, again, the education is not there. People like you weren't around. You know, the internet wasn't really, especially social media, when I had mine 16 years ago nearly, 
it, there was nothing like what there is now. Mm. And it's why I, I really believe this is so important. Uh, one of my, uh, my goddaughter actually recently had a very, very traumatic birth really traumatic and it was traumatic not only for her but for her mum that was with her because they were at home and you know there's still not a lot of support and education around it and I feel desperately sad about that I think there's a lot of um strands to this it starts with the pregnancy it starts with informed birth choices we're we're expecting women to give birth to children and then just carry on yeah and, and we, it can be so traumatic. Yeah. And even if you've had the best birth with no complications, those women still need support. Like the we need we need a better system. We need more education. We need to be empowering women mm-hmm. more to know what to do and actually empower them to trust their own bodies and minds and instincts yes. when it comes to their own children. Important. Because we're we, I don't use this term like lightly, but I hear of women being gaslit a lot around right. their children, yep. and especially if they have a feeling or an instinct about their child's health, and they're simply told that's not yeah. right. Yeah, and they know it is deep down, and and that's that can send you crazy if you're being constantly told, like I was, there is nothing wrong with him. He has got reflux disease. Here is some medication that's going to inhibit acid production in his gut so that he's not in as much pain but what else is that medication doing we're not finding the cause of this and then we've got children that grow up to be adults with allergies and sleep disordered breathing and then they need tonsillectomies and adenoidectomies and they are put through such unnecessary trauma and stress but if we just focused our focus on that first few months and nurture the mother and nurture that relationship and tell her what we could be doing and spending quality time watching that baby feed and you know spending a good amount of time getting to know that family I know that's not possible within the NHS I know that we've not got the funds to do that but life they're being wasted yeah but life would there would be healthier adults yeah if we just helped them when they're first born Um, it's so frustrating because I've got to say this I I know through working with my clients, some of them, the the amount of money that's spent now on locums and agency staff mm-hmm. um, and the amount of people that are working, you know, you could see a doctor in Egypt or Greece um, online mm-hmm. now because uh, they're working as a locum and they're getting paid almost double the amount of what of what you know a nurse or doctor here would be getting paid. So there's a massive pay issue. There's a massive system issue. And you reminded me of a story, actually, of uh, I, I was struggling to breastfeed tongue tie issues. And um, I started to use nipple um, guards. guards, yeah, just because I was in so much pain. It was mm-hmm. like someone was stabbing me in the tits, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be quite honest. It's the worst pain. It's the worst pain. It was yeah. horrific. I hated it. Um, and I, I didn't matter what I did, what pillows I used, what position I held her in. It wasn't happening. It wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't work. So I put no. these nipple guards on. Health visitor comes around, goes into my kitchen without asking permission, has a look on the side where they've obviously been sterilized. I went, what are these? I said, oh, um, actually, another midwife, I said, just try it. So mm. she was a bit more forward thinking. 
And um, I said, oh, they're nipple guards. And she was like, well, you shouldn't be using them. You've ruined the, the flow of milk. You've put the pressure that's different. Da, 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 da. Anyway, she had a go at me. My sister was there at the time on the sofa when this wonderful health visitor came. Mm-hmm. And she said to my sister, I don't know why, but she asked how old my sister was. My sister said she was 35 at the time. So again, it was a long time ago. She's a bit older now. I won't say how old. <laughs> and um, she said, have you got any kids? And my sister sort of said, no. She goes, are you going to have any? And my sister said, oh, I don't know. And she basically said, well, if you don't have it soon, you can have a baby with Down syndrome. And so that was the kind of health visitor I was dealing with. Mm. And I was struggling with my mental health. I'd, I'd got OCD. I was struggling with um, really agoraphobia. Mm. And I had a massive germ phobia that came on mm. in the early stages of pregnancy and carried on throughout mm. the first year after she was born. I didn't tell anybody because I was embarrassed to mm. say, uh, well, I did try to tell people, but I didn't know how to tell people because yeah. I wasn't sure what was going on myself. Mm. I actually thought everybody else was a bit strange and I was mm. normal. Mm. But there was no real um, there was no real support, education, information, nothing like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would have just blown my mind at the time if I'd have had access to that. Yeah, and I think that, that I'm so personally involved with this that sometimes I can... I think I'm quite an intense person. I talk a lot. And I think sometimes I'm like, there's this and there's this and there's this with with these parents. They're like, okay. And then I'm like, let me just, we'll just rewind and go through it again. But it's, it's like I said before, like lack of curiosity. What that health physician should have said is, why does this woman need to use these nipple guards, yes. nipple shields? Um, why is feeding painful? Yeah. Let's, okay, well, let's look at what you're doing wrong. Yeah. No, no, let's think about why it's painful. It shouldn't ever be painful. But still, when I say that, people will say, well, actually, it does hurt for a bit. No, it shouldn't. Yeah. It shouldn't hurt. Yeah. And that could be down to lots of different reasons. And it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong or that your baby's doing anything wrong. It just shouldn't hurt. And there, it doesn't even mean that we need to be doing anything. But if it's hurting so much that you're not, having a milk supply and your baby's hungry and then you're having to use formula maybe you didn't want to do that and I did it with both mine went to formula because I didn't know how to help me produce more milk or like what are you gonna do the babies need feeding and and interestingly you know tongue tie was such a massive part of of um that period when a baby was born before formula was safe to give babies because yeah. those babies would have died without a tongue tie check. Yeah, yeah. So, but now formula's safe. We're not putting We're as not much ch- emphasis yeah, yeah. on it. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, and, and just sometimes it's not about a tongue tie. Sometimes a child can't use their tongue properly because of the way they've been born yeah. and they have a lot of musculoskeletal tension. Yes. And there are, you know, in Sweden, a baby doesn't leave the hospital without osteopathy. But yeah, because we, we do that here at the clinic. We do the yeah, baby osteopathy. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. life-changing. I, yeah. if, if I had If I had a set of five wishes for every family, it would be free pediatric osteopathy after birth, a free tongue tie check and division with pre and post care after in for feeding support, not just with breastfeeding, but but we need bottle feeding support. Like we yeah, need we to do. know yeah. in what position to feed a baby, how to win them, in what position you don't need to move up a teat size, all of these things that are not talked about. Um, proper mental health support and access to mm-hmm. that. Um and there are countries getting this right I know. and actually, it's life-changing it, this is this shows you this is systematic in this country i've actually wouldn't i've got to give her a shout out because um 
she she was uh, Jas Nicholson. Mm-hmm. She was my midwife throughout my pregnancy, and we became friends. Yeah. Um, she left midwifery, um, and then she went and did some work around tongue tie, but she's also just done the cranial. Uh, what do they call it? I, I say cranial osteopathy, but it's a name it, for uh, it. Cr- uh, cranial it's cranial sacral. sacral. She's just gone and completed that as well. So she's the midwife that saw, she was the one that suggested the the nipple guards because she could see I was struggling, but she saw the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And, and it's people like you and people like Jas and people mm-hmm. that are looking at what other countries are doing that mm-hmm. are so much better than what mm-hmm. we're doing. And I don't want to slag off the NHS because I really appreciate the NHS, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's not the end. It's not the nurses and the doctors fault. No, it's not it's the, the government. They're obviously trying to privatize it. And yeah. in the meantime, there are lots of people really, really, really fucking struggling yes and i think that that's i don't have an i don't have a solution i don't know where it's broken i don't know but but there is um there's an amazing ent doctor in america who is doing a lot of uh he's a huge tongue-tie advocate and he's really shouting he's really on his soapbox about this at the moment and it's very much needed but he is saying you know consultants ent consultants consultants that work with babies go if the education isn't there don't just assume yeah that it's not there because it's not a thing go and educate yourself and I know that time is an issue but it has we have to do something um within and you know there's a link between tongue tie and ADHD yeah and tongue tie and sleep disordered breathing yeah and and snoring and what sleep disordered breathing then does to the the developing brain and as a tongue-tied adult who's recently been diagnosed with ADHD, I know that the ADHD is a symptom mm. of trauma, of of being in fight or flight, of yeah. not ever engaging my vagal nerve, yeah, yeah. vagus tone. And and yes, I now have these symptoms that match ADHD. I'm not too sure how I feel about it, but I know that it's come from a variety of different yeah. reasons. And there's a group of doctors in America actually at the moment that are saying if a child is on the ADHD pathway, they need a sleep study and a tongue tie assessment before medication is given. That is what we need in every country. That's, that is profound. Very profound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we look at, tra- I mean, I look at trauma and ADHD a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but you talking about, I had no idea about the link to tongue tie and mm-hmm. sleep, which is, the, so I'm learning something. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure anyone listening, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> I didn't give this enough credit where credit's due and the producer will give a hook to us to, to hook <laughs> us in and he'll find a part because my introduction was never going to do this conversation justice um, because there's so much that you're saying that's going to wow a lot of people I think. Yeah I think that I'm struggling a bit with that at the moment because my clients will say you're not you're not a sleep coach. No you're, you're not. not. It's a lot more than that and I and I like to think that I mean the hand holding and that's the part of the job that I love but just giving parents the knowledge yeah telling them that that the the fact that the baby's waking up every hour is not anything that they're doing wrong yeah and seeing the weight being lifted off their shoulders because they'll be told it's because your baby can't self-settle and you've not taught them how to do that that's not true your baby's in pain yeah baby is perhaps lacking iron because their tongue's not moving properly and we're slip you know we know a lot about being tongue-tied or having oral dysfunction if your tongue's kind of limited in its movement that our oral microbiome and our gut microbiome yep. are slow yeah to send messages to one another we can be slow to absorb things like iron that massively yes. impacts on sleep 
Yeah. It's we're prescribing, a, a, we're giving people a, a sheet of A4 paper to say, this is how you teach your child to self-soothe. We know that part of our brain isn't mature enough until we're 25. Yeah, yeah that's right. So why are we saying that babies yeah. can do it? Yeah, that's the prefrontal cortex you're referring to there, yes. isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you will know a lot more about that than me, but I'm re- I've been reading a lot about kind of the uh, nervous system and the ANS and yep. the polyvagal theory. And that, that, that says everything you it need does. to know about sleep this training. This is why, you know, when we talk about trauma, and, and, and I say this all the time, you you mentioned it there with you and your best friend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, when people uh, compare and despair, they'll go, my story's not as bad as yours. And, you know, hear that a million times. But the point is, and I talk about the vagal nerve a lot, and I talk about microbiome a lot. We know our gut microbiome is more unique than our DNA. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many different things that we need to look at in terms of trauma. Mm-hmm. And trauma isn't just about the event. Trauma is about how it manifests yeah. physically. And and also, if your child isn't able to... to so I said earlier about my, my daughter didn't sleep very well. She wouldn't go in a Moses basket. She wouldn't go in a crib. She, she did not want to. She would cling on to me with, uh, you know, fists on on whatever item of clothing I was wearing. She weren't letting go. And I knew instinctively that I wanted just to hold on to her. She needed that. She needed me. And everybody would say, it's it's probably you that's causing this, Ella. It's your anxiety. And I used to think, shut the fuck Mm, up. It's not like, yeah. And I'm sorry to to swear everybody, <laughs> but um, I used to get so angry with people telling me that it was me yeah. that was causing it. And I knew it was how she was feeling. She wasn't self-soothing particularly no. well. She was tongue-tied, mm-hmm. you know, and there were so many different aspects, which if I look at some of her, which I won't talk about her too much because she won't like it. But <laughs> if I look at her now, some of her behaviors are clearly coming from those early months Mm -hmm. and it's so important to understand that that trauma is not the event it's how it manifests yes and and when I said like curiosity curiosity before so what what your daughter was doing is very normal yeah that's how we bond through touch and smell and she wanted to be close to you and that's normal baby behavior but if your baby is never lying on their back in their Moses basket or their cot they simply will not be laid down yeah let's think about how that birth was it sounds like she may have been back to back if your pain is in your back yeah so what's that done to her cranial nerves and her was she in a bit of pain? And the yeah. only way she was comfortable is to smell you, yeah. to feel your heartbeat, and to be lying and on, be her on lying in your tummy upright. Yeah. Why are we not curious about those behaviors? Yeah. And we're actually doing more damage by saying you can go the other way, the other way that's kind of completely far removed from sleep training, and say, you know, attachment parenting, and you know, all of that's brilliant, and but but that sometimes can also be hourly wakes are, norm- are normal and. It can happen when they experience separation anxiety. And yes, hourly wakes in a baby can be normal for short periods at a time if they're unwell, if they're getting a tooth, if they are going through an intense period of development. Hourly waking nonstop all their life is not normal. And I'm really fed up of that because people aren't getting help. And they are so in tune with their baby and they want to practice this style of parenting or they align with that style, style of parenting that keeps their babies close which is brilliant, like that's what we need as human beings, but then we're being blamed for the way we've chosen to parent as yeah. as as being the reason why they're waking every hour. Yes. But we're still, everybody is, you know, my hospital notes will say overly anxious mother on oh, every yeah. admission. Yeah, I mean, isn't um, that just lovely? Yeah, and I'm like... <laughs> 
mm, there's something that happens to you when you're when you're a mother especially and I'm, I, I can't say the same for fathers and I'm sure there is some wiring that happens when you become a father too but it's happening to our body isn't it yeah, they're an yeah. extension of us they've lived in us and there is this instant you know not everybody feels instant love for their baby no. we don't talk about that a lot either no, no but there is an instant intuition yeah that's just there yeah and and we don't we don't as, as new mums we don't know what we don't know whether to listen to that we don't know whether to trust it we don't know well, especially if everyone else is telling you that you're, you're wrong. wrong yeah and I've never met a mother whose intuition hasn't been correct right. yeah. yeah yeah um and I think we just need to learn more about where the tongue should rest when we're asleep how we should be breathing if we're breathing as if we're in fight or flight we're not going to sleep no you're right yeah we're going to come out of that sleep every hour yeah or yeah and but it's not just about the way a, a child's breathing and where their tongue is sitting in the posture it's it's what that tongue's doing then when they're feeding they're going to be swallowing air that's yeah. going to cause reflux yeah. then we're adding an, another layer of discomfort to yeah. that child and then if they're given things like omeprazole and gaviscon what's that doing to their gut health yes and then when they do digest actual food yeah they can't tolerate it as well and then there's a whole other layer of discomfort for that baby and it's this cycle that continues and continues so yeah it's not I, I'm a sleep coach but I'm working out why that baby's not sleeping I I wouldn't even know if I was I was thinking about this when you said it a minute ago like if I was thinking okay what would I describe you as <laughs> because yes sleep's part of it tongue ties part of it you know the holistic side of it's part of it but it's so much more than that you are an educator and I think you know a lot of people say to me but I haven't done this degree or that degree you don't have to do that to be an educator knowledge is power mm -hmm. you hold a lot of knowledge you've got a lot of lived experience yeah. so you can really empathize but you seem to be really passionate as well yeah. and I, I would just say that you're like <laughs> it's like you're the the best friend to new parents oh, that's really lovely. because it's true though and uh, you can't find a title that fits yet I'm sure you will because <laughs> I know one of the things that you want to do is to actually train people to be a coach in the way that you are yeah um and we said earlier didn't we you you know you want to train sleep coaches but I don't think you could even call it sleep coaches because what you do is something completely different I think, I think that's what I, like I said I kind of touched it before and I do think it's important for me to say because I do feel like I'm at the point now in my career that there is the lack of medical degree yeah is holding me back from being heard yeah my biggest trigger for my mental health is not being Gosh, heard yeah. and I was listening to the, the most recent podcast you've released on the way here and so much so much of it I was like yes like you don't you don't need the qualifications to prove what you know what's yeah. in your brain yeah but I feel like maybe this is a trauma thing maybe what I don't know but I, I I feel like having something like a medical degree would it give me validation would it give me a standing would it give me a bigger voice I don't know at this it's point it's interesting because 
when I um when I went through what I did in childhood, nobody um no there wasn't any services available. So I I didn't really have a benchmark for who I was then going to yeah. be. I just knew I needed to be the person that I didn't have. Yeah. And I've used my whole my whole career is based on that. Now that doesn't mean that you need to have gone through childhood abuse to come and see me. I mean, you could have had a car accident, and have trauma, or you know, be a child that that you know perhaps wasn't um looked after very well for whatever reason. I, it, it doesn't mean that they weren't looked after very well because the parents were shit. It could just be that the parents didn't have the information. So whatever the person's coming to me with, Mm -hmm. I just want to be for them what I didn't have, which is someone to hear, someone to offer the education piece and someone to just carry me through that, that time. And we spoke about um, sleep a lot there. Well, I use EMGR, which is based on the theory of REM sleep. Mm -hmm. So that we know sleep is so important in terms of reprocessing trauma as well, using the way the, brain goes into bilateral stimulation Mm -hmm. during sleep Mm -hmm. using that theory Mm -hmm. and using bilateral uh, stimulation not not only as a way of reprocessing trauma but a way of self-soothing as well um so it's all so bloody i know and 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 if we just thought more about the link between all of these things yeah like i don't want to say because a lot of people will sleep, you know, I sleep trained and I do feel a certain way about doing that, but I did it because I, I believe that was the only way. Yeah. And it was the information I was given by health professionals that I trusted. Yes. I don't know what we need to do I to make think... these people understand yeah. that we're inflicting trauma yeah. on children and parents. Yeah. And it, is absolutely not necessary we just need more time and can I just specify there because I think this is really important um I I I would say that my my daughter has got nervous system trauma so when we talk about trauma mm-hmm. I, I want to make that very very clear mm. a lot of the experiences that she's had growing up has been nervous system trauma which manifests as anxiety but she's been very very loved very very loved very heard very seen I'm not saying I've never lost my temper because I definitely no. have but she's had a lot of love and a lot of support hers is nervous system trauma and it comes down to those sleep and tongue tie issues and I want to just say that because people hear trauma and they don't always understand no. there's different types of trauma um there is emotional trauma and there is physical trauma and there are you know there's sexual traumas but nervous system trauma is this sort of trauma we're talking about where you know then they're being expected to self-soothe before they've even got the ability to do so um and i really just wanted to specify that because that might make a lot more sense yeah, to people exactly that's massively important because we see we hear the word trauma, there's only negative kind of connotations yeah. that come along with that word. If we're told that our child is waking hourly because they're uncomfortable, the first thing we're going to do is blame ourselves for yeah. not knowing that. And that's what, that's natural. I think that's because you love your child so much that who who else are you to blame? Like you need to blame someone for your yeah. child being yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. No, let's think about... And you are being gaslit as well, actually. Yeah. So a lot of the time you are being confused by the health professionals, even today. Um, And this happens, by the way, in all types of health. You know, the other day, uh, let me just tell you this story, slightly off topic, and I'm really passionate about this bit. What you've just said there is that we blame ourselves. Mm. I'm working with a girl who definitely shows every single sign of having ADHD. There is some trauma early on. Um, I always write a letter if I suggest they go to the doctor and see if they, because they can't always afford mm-hmm. uh, private assessments. Um, 
So I always write a letter and the doctor didn't even look at the letter. He said, no, I don't need to see that. I'm going to put you on antidepressants. We know antidepressants can exacerbate the symptoms of ADHD. So what he's done is I've got almost 20 years worth of of experience. I trained on and off Mm -hmm. for five years to become a psychotherapist, hypnotherapist and so on. And done countless amounts of hours of training ever since. Mm -hmm. We know that GPs get a very small pocket of training in mental health. Yes, they're prescribers, so they're allowed to prescribe medicines. But to not even read the letter and Mm -hmm. not hear that. Now, we're going to see that with young mums as well. What you were told, no, you're not contracting. Um, Women say, my baby's waking up every hour. Oh, just try this, try that. But their instinct, their intuition, Mm -hmm. their knowledge of their baby and their Mm -hmm. experience is often completely ignored and they end up very confused. Yeah. And we need more holistic. The word holistic is still bandied about and it's also seen as airy-fairy. It is, yeah. no, no, that's exactly what we need. Yeah, we need holistic, holistic healthcare, yeah, especially from the day that mother becomes pregnant until that child goes yeah. to school, ideally longer. Yeah. We need that. But that that exact story happened to me. I was going back to the doctor. I've got anxiety. You know, they were telling me I had OCD and PTSD. And because there was a lot of history of trauma there and I was put on sertraline for, for years. Yes. That exacerbated. And then since coming off that and being on, I'm trying ADHD medication at the moment, that's been life changing. Yeah. But I know I have a lot of nervous system trauma yes. and childhood trauma yes. and layers and layers and layers of trauma. I know that my body is in permanent fight, fight or flight. flight and that I'm not getting the sleep that I need. I'm probably not looking after myself. Like I'm not, say, I'm not sat here saying... I've got two perfectly healthy children because I'm the best mother in the world. I never lose my shit. I'm never depressed. I always lose my shit. And I am. (laughs) I am down. I'm going through a lot of personal things at the moment that are making those triggers uh, more shallow. (laughs) Is that the right word? Like I am reacting and responding to things that I probably wouldn't normally. I know what's happening to me and I know why. This is about like what the reason you do your job is the exact reason I do mine. Yeah. Because if I had me, if I had someone that was telling me this, then it'd have changed not my not my life, but it changed my son's life. And with you saying the GPs are giving out these prescriptions, we need to be thinking of the consequences. Which there of are that. a lot of. There yeah. are a lot of because imagine that you start to feel okay. Um, I'm, I've got I've got a lot of serotonin now because I've been given sertraline, which is an SSRI for mm-hmm. those that don't know. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, okay, but my ADHD symptoms are worse, and I'm being really risky because that's mm. part of what ADHD is. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I might be out there seeking things that are going dopamine. to yeah, dopamine mm-hmm. exactly. So I. I know that you you were talking about, you know, maybe I should get a medical mm. degree or whatever it is. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't because mm. that might be something that you're really interested in and it really might help mm. your career. But I guess the message I want to get across here, yes, I'm a psychotherapist. Yes, I did lots of training. Yes, I do still do countless mm. training and I always will. But actually, some people are just born to do this. Yeah. Some people have got a real passion, a mm-hmm. real purpose, a real understanding. They they have all the knowledge. They may not have the degree. I think it's always good to have something that gives you an accreditation so that people can, um, if there are uh, things that we need to, certainly we need to keep people safe. Yeah. So we all need to be working to a code of ethics and yeah. so on and so forth. 
so that for those reasons I think accreditation is important but mm-hmm. medical degree in your case um would only enhance what you do yeah what I think is is that you would you shouldn't need it no um to be heard no but actually you are right that in ter- in certain circles mm-hmm. not not the lay person not the person that actually needs you by the way mm. but the people that back you up yeah um but like i told you there as a psychotherapist with with the qualifications the accreditations and everything else, right. geez, yeah. they still don't listen to me they mm-hmm. still don't listen to me. And I find it really, fr- it's not an ego thing. No. I care about the person going to them. It makes me angry because the person that needs them to hear me. I'm not getting yes. what they need. Yeah. And it's, it. that's the bit that bothers me. I don't care whether you respect what I do or not. If you're a doctor or whatever, and most of them do, by the way. Yeah. But the ones that don't go, I don't care whether, it's not about that. It's no. about this patient no, exactly. and what they need. Yeah. I've now started. So I obviously... I can tell a parent, so let's say I'm suspecting that the child might be low in ferritin, iron stores, and that's why they're waking a lot. I will tell the parent the symptoms of that and what they need to do to find out for sure. Yeah. You can't, and that's obviously because I can't say for sure. Um, but when then I I will always write a letter m- knowing that 50% they'll be like, a sleep coach? What is that? Yeah, like, uh, <laughs> you yeah. don't need that person. Yeah. They're a charlatan. Exactly. What I started to do is <laughs> write a letter explaining every symptom this child has, yeah. connecting that to the evidence, yes. citing it. Yes. I go OTT. Yeah. And I'm like this we know that low ferritin means we lack sleep spindles sleep spindles are specific range of activity that mm-hmm. puts into a deeper sleep so there's where you can find that information this child has this this and this symptom they're behaving like this overnight when they wake um can we have a can would you consider having a, a blood test for this for this child um but that's happening a lot yeah like there is a definite, I don't know what the connection is. And I don't even know if I'll get in trouble for saying this, but I am seeing children that are born with musculoskeletal tension, either from a forceps or emergency section or vontus or whatever it is delivery. Their tongues are not working as they should because their neck's tight and they yeah. can't quite get in a comfortable position and they're just locked. Whether they're tongue tied or not, maybe some of them are. They're not getting that help. They're then swallowing lots of air on the bottle or breast and then they have an inflamed gut and then they are prescribed PPI medication that inhibits acid production. They're yeah. then given food. They then get eczema. Yeah. They then have allergic reactions yeah. to food. Yeah. They then continuously mouth breathe, mouth breathe, yeah. mouth breathe. Everything you've said, it, whether you're allowed to say it or not, I'm going to keep it on it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't care either. <laughs> we, we, I might add a special note on you yeah. know, just for the sake of it, but um, actually... Everything you've said makes perfect sense. Everything is and linked. And and my brain, whether that's the ADHD or not, but I will I will pick up a pattern in families that I work with. Then I'll need to go and work out. You join all the dots. I join the dots, but with the research and with the evidence, with yeah. the stuff that's on BNF and with the things that are public that published um, yeah. literature published research. Yeah. And I've got a very I've got a client who is an A and E emergency consultant who came to me and I told her that her child. Had, had reflux, a tongue tie, muscular skeletal tension. She listened to my advice and it changed her son's life. And it was, she's been such an integral part of my journey in life the last couple of years because she, as an A&E consultant, was yeah. saying to me, you need to continue to do this because yeah. we're not 
taught it. Yeah. I didn't know how to help my son and I felt like a failure. Yeah, even more so because of their Because title. of my profession and I felt even more like I couldn't talk about it because of my profession. Yeah. Um, but it's her that I'll, I'll ring her and I'll be like, I found another link. Is this legit? She'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. You're going to change the world. You know, this is honest. I'm not just saying this. There are women like you out there doing this work. And I know there are more. Um, but again, we don't know of them all. No. But you are going to change things. Uh, if only, if only there was more <laughs> of you, which is what your plan is to do, isn't it? Yeah. And I've got to say this. Um, I don't know how much you're prepared to say. Uh, but but you are going through some life changes. I know mm. that the if if I can say, can mm-hmm. I say that? Okay, so you are going through changes in the marriage, mm-hmm. and and that has sadly come to an end. Yeah, um, it's a fairly new thing, isn't it? Yeah. But but what was so interesting, and I know you're going through a really difficult time, mm. and I know it's really painful and really it's a struggle in every single way, shape, mm. form, isn't it? But you're still determined mm. to go out there and within a year or two be educating others doing what you do. Yeah. Um, certainly trying to bring up a, a whole network of, of coaches that you're training. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could go off and do the whole medical thing first or you could bring medical people on board with your business so that yeah. you can just focus on being mm. the educator. But whichever way around you do this, I know that you are going to change the scope of what being a parent looks like I hope so I just uh, there's obviously a massive part of me that needs to be heard and like somebody to say yeah you're right about that and and why do I need somebody that's maybe high up in the NHS or a consultant or someone to say oh you're onto something here yeah like but that's me personally needing that I think because of Henry yeah we saw an amazing ENT doctor at the Portland Hospital in London last week who looked me in the eye and said you have been right for the last four years and your son needs to have his tongue divided, but he also needs his tonsils and adenoids out because of how much he's compensated for that tongue tie, which is everything you've been saying for the last four years. Wow. And to hear that. My hairs are standing on yeah. end listening to yeah. that. Yeah. And my husband, well, he's still my husband, my, you know, and my child's father was in the appointment with me and I, he looked at me and he knew I needed that. And he knew that he probably hadn't given me that like he hadn't said that it was just a very poignant moment but it's not I thought it'd like heal the way I feel about everything but that's gonna take time it is gonna take time and it has helped me know that I've been correct and but I would never doubted myself I just needed to be told I was yeah 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 (laughs) but professionally you know I do get a lot of people in the industry that don't like what I'm saying because it it goes against everything that their business stands for yeah which is to sell these pdf guides that teach a child how to self-soothe and they don't like what I'm saying but if they if they didn't believe or didn't really think there was a truth to what I was saying they wouldn't speak about it and they are yes and even that I'm like okay I am getting in people's brain I'm not going to be quiet I'm not going to stop talking about it and wow. I'm going to piss a lot of people off I know that but that's good I need because when do you're it. pissing people off you are making changes yeah. you don't make changes in this world unless you've made a few people angry in the meantime <laughs> that's the truth of it no, saying, right it's yeah. so true like if you're making people angry you're doing something right yeah. because you're breaking down those belief systems and those systems that other people rely on to make their money mm-hmm. well that's not good enough because this isn't about money now no. this is about making sure that information is out there so other people don't have to go through what you went through yeah or even if you're listening to this and you feel like you're 
you went through something milder. You know, you're, as a woman, your hormones can change for a very, very long time after you've had a baby. That alone, even if you've got the most... I don't, there's no such thing but the ideal situation for your baby mm. the baby sleeps it's not tongue-tied they're mm-hmm. not tension in the neck and yeah. in the head they're breathing correctly everything's mm. perfect there your hormones might still be all over the place and affecting not only uh how you feel about yourself but how you feel about other things like i'm pretty sure that my previous trauma with sexual abuse and i spoke about this in the ted talk was what brought on the germ phobia because the way that I think of it now looking back retrospectively was within two weeks I fell pregnant straight away within two weeks I was bleaching the surfaces in my house I was picking up litter outside of my house like this outside of this building here would have been a nightmare for me because there's litter everywhere today (laughs) but I I was going out with a bag picking up all the litter I did that all the way through the pregnancy I was um, I was nesting from early on if you like when she was born I was so petrified she was going to die you saying that earlier really resonated Mm. and I I couldn't bear anyone going near her with any germs to the point where I very rarely went out yeah and I think that's because I was trying to protect her. Mm-hmm. So I think I was overprotective in that way. Yeah. But separately to that, she was also unable to sleep on her back, unable to mm. be put down, hyper um, clingy. Mm. Well, the word clingy isn't fair, actually. She just wanted to be on me all the time. Survival for Survival. Her. Yeah. And, and then I was gaslighted. Oh, it's because of you. Yeah. Because you're this, because you're that. There were so many different facets going on at the time. But like you say, no one was curious. No. It was all my fault. And then what? what is that then doing to the mother? Yeah. To be told that it's their fault, to then be told... Because there are people out there that say, your baby must wake at 7 o'clock every morning. Yeah. They must go to bed at 7 p.m. every evening. It doesn't matter how old they are. Yeah. They have to have three naps. They have to have a two-hour lunch nap. Can you... What if you were an that anxious mum? would never have worked. No, but if you... This was me with Arthur, though. Like, I was so anxious. And I was like, oh, my God, it's 7 o'clock. He's got to be awake. He's only had an hour and 45 minutes for his lunchtime nap. What am I doing wrong? And I'm panicking all the time. They're not following the schedule that this person's sent to me. Because that's not life. That's It makes me so angry that I wasted a year yeah. of my child's, my child's first year fitting him into a box he was never going to fit in yeah making myself more ill and if somebody had said some children are lower sleep needs some children prefer to go to bed later you've got to let sleep pressure build before you put them to bed you can't do a set bedtime every night because they may have woken up from their nap at 3 p.m and not be tired enough for bed and then they're just going to be really pissed off that you've forced them in their cot and let's let's talk about how sleep works like that's not how sleep works yeah and that's what annoys me because I think mothers are getting more unwell yeah. because of the bullshit they're fed yeah. every single day about how to do it. Yeah. And yeah. it's not how to wean, how, you know, it's, it's damaging. It's really damaging. It's damaging. It's, it, it's like saying you've got a headache, take a headache tablet. Mm. It's like saying, oh, you've got constipation. Perhaps you need to eat a bit more fiber. It's not that simple with a baby and a mother because there's so many different parts. Mm -hmm. Like you say, you're really listening with curiosity and you're understanding the evidence. Mm -hmm. And this is your passion. You're understanding all these different parts of having been a mother, Mm -hmm. having had a lot of trauma. Mm -hmm. You are listening for every, the holistic point of view, every single part of this person's experience. Because I'm genuinely interested and not just in helping that family. But it's it's maybe 
the neurodiverse aspect of my brain but I will I will read an intake form from a family and I'll analyze their sleep diary and I'll watch the baby feed and straight away my brain has got all of these scattered jigsaw pieces yeah, 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 yeah. and I'm like I have to put this together yeah I that's how rest. I work yeah it's so interesting it is, yeah. isn't it yeah and I I'm like well I've got to talk about this and and that's why I say sometimes at the beginning I have ADHD I talk at a million miles an hour yeah. and I'll probably just fire information at you yeah but then that's how I need to tell you and then I'm going to go back yeah. <laughs> slowly and talk about each thing um it's because really I know fascinating that it's, you know yeah because I, I can I can see that your brain when you're talking about this sorry to interrupt but I wanted to no, show you what I see your brain is you do very similar style to me I think <laughs> and I think the trauma aspect of my brain is developed into that ADHD style so um that that th the way that I I can't you know I'm almost like this is so exciting <laughs> all those puzzle yeah. pieces and I'm just I can't wait to yeah. see it all put together and I'm really you know the, the person opposite me and I see this in you <laughs> is so like wow no one's ever been this mm. interested in me mm. and it's the first time that that mother mm -hmm. in her whole life mm. and she's going to have a whole host of other things that she's bringing to the table as well yeah. as will the father mm. it's probably the first time they've ever had anyone be that interested yeah. in them obsessively yeah just like you are everything to me right now <laughs> yeah. and and yeah. that passion and that that that, that even before they know the answers mm. that is going to give them so much hope which just changes the game and and it gives them you know that initial consultation with me that I have with everybody they get the opportunity to start from the beginning and tell me everything they want to tell me and there's no heard. time limit yeah and I'll, I'm listening yeah um we don't we get 10 minutes with the GP we get you know there's not they need to speak they need to talk about yeah. you know I have a, f a friend recently that had a really tough time conceiving like lots of rounds of IVF finally had her baby didn't feel heard or seen during labor had a really tricky time quite similar to me and Arthur and I went to see her when a baby was about a week old um to help her with tongue feeding stuff and I said to her do you feel like you want to talk to me about what happened at the birth and she just burst into tears and I said you don't have to go through it but for me actually I had to and, and God bless my mom because <laughs> she is so patient with me. And so I think because of the way I describe how my brain works, it's almost like I do have to repeatedly go through everything. Because every time I tell that story to somebody that's safe to do that yeah. to, another thought yes. will come into my head that will help me yes. or like make more sense of it. Yeah even just having that opportunity yeah to sit down with somebody even if you've had a brilliant birth and say I just really want to talk about my child yeah like can I tell you how I birthed like a badass and <laughs> yeah. brought my baby into this world no matter how you did it let's give them a, a let's give them a, a chance to do that to celebrate it. yeah to celebrate the fact that they got through it yeah because even if you have had and I had a relatively good birth apart from the fact that I was on my own for all of it yeah until I got to the hospital and then well, I was, I think I was nine or 10 centimetres by the time I got there. The bloody ambulance driver kept calling me Emma. Oh, God. <laughs> I was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and then we went over every, I got told, right, 
This is another thing that I tell a lot. <laughs> I got told I was going to get, if I needed it, because it's home birth, you're going to get blue flashing lights, mm. right? You're going you're gonna to be fine. Everything's going to... So, no, there was no blue flashing lights. He went over every single speed bump while I was 9 to 10 centimetres dilated. Got to the hospital. He said, would you like a wheelchair? Because bear in mind, I've been contracting continuously. Yeah. Yes, please. Oh, no, I can't find one. Oh. So I had to walk through, got there, and and then I, I needed a catheter as well because I couldn't... I'd been, I hadn't mm. gone to the toilet for so long. Ended up being fine, but had no pain relief. Apart from that one suck on gas and air, and then that made me projectile vomit. Mm. Um, had no pain relief, and I, afterwards, I was so grateful to get through the experience. I was sort of like, "Wow!" And of course, adrenaline was going yeah. wild, and dopamine and oxytocin mm. and all those things. But looking back, that could have been a whole different story. Yeah, if there'd been any complication. It. Yeah, I did, and I'm proud of it. But I'm yeah. also really aware of that it was also quite traumatic. Yeah, but I've covered it up with the gloriousness of how mm-hmm. it all happened. But for 10 hours I was completely alone mm. and with constant contract- yeah it was very it was mm. I was petrified mm. and I had every time I rang the midwife they'd be like well there's just no one available you're probably only three centimeters and I was like okay mm. and in the end I, I just knew I had to get to hospital I just but of course they keep telling no you'll be fine yeah just do this just do that have a bath I couldn't I couldn't no. move no it's 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 you with you saying I developed you know it was straightforward you felt scared yeah you felt tra- you there was trauma oh, was there yeah. yeah that's how can we possibly prepare anyone for how it feels like it yeah it's such an different pain it's a different experience your body's physically doing something and you're yeah. like what is going on here yeah yeah so it it really doesn't matter although it does but it, it doesn't matter in terms of how you feel yeah the way your birth has has gone yeah. and sometimes just talking about it and, and actually thinking I did that mm. it's like amazing that, yeah and also giving credit where credit's due to Regan who was my midwife there she was brilliant yeah she really put me at ease and she was phenomenal and Jess mm. who I mentioned earlier she was the midwife throughout the pregnancy she was phenomenal but the system mm-hmm. the system was not great the health visitor that came came from a very old school yeah. system the system of those so it's the were, training isn't it yeah. it's like the continuous yeah. development of yeah, yeah absolutely and this is where you come in mm. like people like you and people that have been midwives that are perhaps retraining and yeah. doing things now changing the world for mm. for, for trauma mm. forget about i know we talk about the babies and the mother here but actually collective trauma yes through the you know the nervous system trauma yeah. that we're talking about that that's gonna have a knock-on effect yeah and let's just think about what adults those babies are going yes. to be yeah like let's think about how society is gonna be yeah and we're all kind of mouth-breathing impulsive people that well, are yeah. because and i know that's what i don't want to do and what i don't want people to think listening to this is oh my god my child mouth breathes oh my god I think my child's got a tongue tie and they're gonna have ADHD no no just you you don't you can't do that you can't go down highlighting the bigger issues yes and and you if you're anything like me that will send you down a rabbit hole and a spiral and but at least they're being curious exactly and if you are feeling like that there is always things you can be doing no matter how old your child is that Mm. will benefit them Mm. people say to me oh I had a really traumatic birth and my child had a 
a head preference or they preferred one boob they always had clenched fists they hate being in the car seat but they're five now would osteopathy still help yes yeah it would and I would say that because that's what we do here yeah. as well so I'm going to give it a big shout yeah. out it's incredible <laughs> osteopathy is incredible like it's magic stuff. I mean I feel having a multidisciplinary clinic actually I mentioned earlier we've got physios we've got osteos we've mm. got gut health people here we've got homeopaths we've got you know psychologists talk therapists of all different types mm. uh, more trauma informed but um, beauty or the whole lot here yeah. and the reason I love it is because there's such a wealth of yeah. experience um reflexology is another amazing tool for, mm. for babies and for mums yeah and the, the wealth of experience within these practitioners mm. the wealth of knowledge the wealth of passion and purpose mm. is is different to what you get yeah elsewhere because we that holistic approach we're all so um, they often do uh um supervised not supervised a group supervision and I can never bloody go to it because I'm either with a client or I happen to be on holiday but they're so passionate these guys mm -hmm. and we cannot discount those osteopathy even later on in life you know if you're in pain as a mother after giving birth if you can go and see a physio or an osteo go and see a, you know sports massage therapist look after your bodies as well yeah. because I always say about mums and I remember this you and sometimes even you know you'd have to be a mum to fit into this category if you're not a mum and you're not a dad listening to this but we prioritize everything else instead of ourselves and if you prioritize your own well-being your child gets the best out of you yeah. if you don't give yourself five minutes to breathe mm -hmm. or to eat properly or to you know rehydrate mm -hmm. if you don't look at your own sleep if you don't look at your own body and the pain that you're carrying the inflammation the gut issues you're never going to be the best version of yourself for your child I felt like you're talking right to me there I was <laughs> I didn't want to make it personal, but as you've gone there. Emily, sort it out. <laughs> no, I feel, I, like, I genuinely, I have this thought. I don't know what, yeah. I think if I did the work that I know I need to do, that I'd be telling other people to do, yeah. that it would, yeah. I th I, I'm not being the mother I want to be at the minute. I'm shouting. I'm got no patience. And But you'll go through huge I am, life changes. I am, but there is so much more I could do to help myself. Like, I feel like I've forgotten how to relax. I've forgotten how to, Yeah. I don't know what I, I'm, when I'm not with the children, I'm not working. I'm like, yeah, it's like your yeah. brain doesn't know what to do <laughs> yeah. anymore. I'm like, what well, I could, I could, you know, I used to like reading books. I could do some meditation. How do you get on with reading. reading books when you've got ADHD? I can read a book in 10 minutes. <laughs> You're like skim reading. Yeah. I know. Like, do, 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 do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've always been that. like that. But I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I know what makes me feel good and I'm not doing it. Mm. It's like I'm punishing myself or like sabotaging myself for some reason because of maybe the emotional state. Possibly. Because uh, it's interesting when people say, I think I'm self-sabotaging. I'm like, <laughs> actually, I think your nervous system has just put the big stop on. Yeah. And it might not be self-sabotage. It might yeah. actually be burnout. Yeah. Um, because with everything you're going through on top of the, the mm. sort of passion that you have, because obviously <laughs> the passion that you put into your work, I could see yeah. it here. I, I, I've fallen in love with you, by Aww. the way, because we had, we, I always have a brief chat with yeah. people before in like half an hour or so we had a chat earlier, yeah. but you, I couldn't get the flavor of it until now. Like yeah. this is you and the, your passion and your traumas and everything that you've yeah. been through and are going through. Mm. Um, like, you never know how an episode's going to go until you record it. <laughs> no. This is a banger, by the oh, way. Oh, God. Because this, um, 
there's so many sides to you and you've let them all out here. Yeah. Like you have definitely been authentic and vulnerable, but you've also been completely um, transparent about the system, yeah, the education that you've offered in this one episode. Yeah. The, the journey that you're on, you know, the, the current status that you're you're mm. living with at the minute and what you're intending to do in the future. You've just given so much good food, really, if you like. Yeah. It's like been the three courses and more yeah and it's fascinating I feel like some like I will definitely go away from this experience and think you went off on too many tangents you spoke too quickly no but that is how I it must be how I pro like how I think and how I process different things and when I've got something to say yeah I literally have to bite my lip not yeah don't interrupt I get like and meeting other people with ADHD that constantly interrupt you're like oh my god that's a thing we do that yeah yeah um yeah so I thank you that means an awful lot I think that um yeah it's hard to sometimes it's the best thing to do is just to sit down and talk about it that's like the best well this is it this is why I I love doing these episodes yeah and I mean love it yeah sometimes we wake up in the morning and we don't go yay yeah going back into the clinic today but actually when I'm with the person I'm just like I find human the human experience fascinating me too from from birth to death I find death fascinating Mm. as well I find the whole experience of human Mm. experience the reason I say that about death is because so many people are scared of death I am not scared of death I'm fascinated by death Mm. it's something that we're all going to face but if we're not getting the birth bit right you can imagine why people are petrified about the death bit you know there's the the things that we need to talk about I said this in my very first guest podcast which was with Dr Sunny who's a gut doctor Um, you know the things we don't talk about are sex and bowels and death but also birth Mm. I'm going to add birth into Mm. that one now after this Mm. episode is that birth sex guts bowels and 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 death they are mm. so important we need to talk about it more yeah because in this episode we've got, apart from the sex bit which <laughs> we, we know you have to have to have a baby yeah, yeah. by the way um we've covered every single angle there yeah. you yeah. know it's all it's all linked mm. the brain is linked to every single part of everything yeah. and the birth is definitely the and the womb experience yeah. is definitely the first and if we call. can just get that even a little bit more yeah right that's not the right phrase but I know what you mean (laughs) focus a little bit more on that just how much things can change yes for children and then you know for for the parents as well yeah yeah because we're preventing so much trauma later on for the parent too because we're thinking about the child's health now and as they grow we're doing things that are gonna prevent common common things that are happening like tonsillectomies and you know how many of those are performed a day, but how many could be avoided? Avoided if we and allergies. if we teach about breathing. Yeah, allergies. I mean, bloody Massive. allergies! It's a really, really, really big problem. How many kids have got allergies now? Mm-hmm. They never used to have allergies. No, and What's that's a link? common common mm-hmm. cause of reflux. But yeah. is that baby born with an allergy, or is it is it from medication we're giving them? Yeah. Or can we just think more about more holistically? This? Yeah. And um, I think people definitely will after this episode yeah i mean this has got longevity Mm. for years to come because i'd love to know how soon things will actually change so you know as i say to everybody that comes on if you want this 
um, unedited version, you'll get it so that you can chop it up and use it again and again and again. But I would love to see you educating more people and, and we reaching that wider audience through your own system of teaching yeah, yeah. so that other people can carry on this work for you. Definitely. Because you can't reach everybody on your own. No. No. We need lots more of you. And I think that's why I'm at burnout because I've been trying to do that and yes. it's not possible and it's no. not. And then you get the doubt, oh, well, I've not got, you know, and people will say to me, well, you're not medically trained. So I would, and it's like. You don't have to be. No. And if you're, if the right, look, I know that people will listen to this and will have had experiences with people that are medically trained and, and actually felt worse. So what we need is people that are informed people that are passionate, that people that are educated, you are educated. You, like you say, the way you write your letters to the GP, mm. you cite, yeah. you know, the evidence and you make sure that the GP is aware of that. And I know not all GPs, I've got a lot of time for GPs, but some of them are using Google anyway. Exactly. So you're saving them, you know. Yeah. And all I think when I do that is, right, even if, if that GP reads it, then I've won yeah. because even if they think this person is not on a different planet and they're not talking any sense, yeah. I know that that's not true. Yeah. But even if they think that something will go in there, yeah, it will. And when they have a child that comes tomorrow and they're not sleeping and they're pale and they're clammy overnight and they've got cold hands and feet and maybe they'll think this child might need to get their blood checked. I do it for my own yeah. reasons too because I just yeah. think this is the only way I can be speaking to GPs yes. because I've even I've even gone to my local GP practice and said could you know because I'm infant feeding qualified can we run a clinic so every baby that comes to you with reflux they come to a clinic yeah. run by me or someone similar yeah and we help the family identify the root cause and can we measure the reduction rates in in omeprazole and gaviscon and it's a flat out no and I'm willing to do it for free. Well, why do you I'm think like, that Please. is? Why do you think that is? Because that's pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. that's a I big... didn't want to say it. Well, yeah. I'm quite willing to say it. <laughs> yeah. I might be cancelled. You might never hear yeah. from me again. But I'm willing Conspiracy to say it. Conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah. it's, pharma it's pharmaceuticals. It is. It is. And that's a lot of money in that. It is. Uh, they're going to make a lot. So, so yeah, <laughs> we won't. Well, I won't say too much no. about that. But that's my yeah. opinion. Yeah. But if we we just need one, we just need one person that that's got the authority to say go and do that yeah. let's see it let's see what happens yeah um so because because th that is a bit of a, a, a bit of a task and and you're not getting the inroads which is, doesn't surprise me and that's why most people end up working privately mm -hmm. and so on because of that what I really want people to know is where they can find you and 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 I know your business is going to be building because you've had to slow down a little bit with all the personal yeah. stuff going on but you're building it back up mm -hmm. where were they, where can they find you at the moment so i'm on instagram which is fox and the moon underscore sleep um we have a free facebook community for parents um as well um and you just type fox and the moon sleep into facebook and you'll find that um we have a website and um that has a whole host of kind of easily accessible there's some free kind of guides about reflux and and red flags when it comes to sleep um, but also really affordable like webinars and guides um self-paced courses um the one that I've like worked incredibly hard to put together is the ultimate accessible baby solution which is for parents who just think my baby's not very happy yeah and they're waking an awful lot it doesn't necessarily mean they have to have diagnosed reflux or colic or allergies if you just feel like your baby is not happy that's the course for you and I'm very proud of that and it's um 
there's a, a wonderful woman in America called um, Mallory Millet, who is um, a speech and language therapist, myofunctional therapist, tongue tie advocate. And so she's done, uh, oh, and she's also a cranial sacral um, therapist. So she's put a lot of material together for things you can be doing now at home to help, little exercises wow. and things. Um, Dr. Rio, who is the a &E consultant, has done a lot on maternal mental health and um, iron and what to do there. So that that course is packed full of, of wow. reasons um, and it's very affordable and very accessible. Um, so yeah, just trying to kind of, and obviously you can work with me one-to-one, -one. you can work with Molly, who's my sleep coach associate one-to-one, -one, who is phenomenal, phenomenal, didn't say <laughs> that word, but word. then said it, again, said it right <laughs> the second time. Um, she is a nanny and she loves working with people who want to move away from co-sleeping. They want to stop breastfeeding. Like she's very uh she has her own kind of set of interest um and then I work predominantly with the children who yeah they might be four months old and having reflux but they might be three and snoring like yeah. it's 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 working out those kinds of that's that's what I love to do um so yeah you can work with us one-to-one -one too and what's the website uh foxandthemoon.co.uk so foxandthemoon.co.uk for the website facebook is fox and the moon sleep yes and Instagram is Fox and the Moon underscore sleep. Yes. Amazing. And I mean, if you were to do something in the future, you know, teaching others, how long do you reckon that would be before you would look at that as a proper viable option? I'd love to say, <laughs> I'd love, I I'm work. I'm making you accountable. I know, yeah. I know. And I work to a deadline, so I need, I need this. Um, I'm going to say it would, it, I, by the end of the year, it'll be written. I'm going to say a couple of extra months for accreditation, maybe this time next year. Amazing. So around yeah. about, so please, 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 if you're <laughs> interested, even if you're not a parent yet, yeah. but you're interested in some of these things that we've spoken about today as for, for parents, you know, you might be a life coach or, or a, you know, a counselor or a psychotherapist or someone listening to this thinking, Oh, I've learned so much about this. Yeah. This is going to be so helpful to my clients. Follow Emily because mm. you're going to work with mums and you're going to work with dads and all of us in this field mm -hmm. should be aware of the work that you're doing and what you're talking about, not only for the parents, but for those children. I mean, I'm 45. I'm going to be working for quite some time. Those babies are going to turn into adults with their own problems. Yeah. We need to be aware of this sort of nervous yeah. system trauma that they're experiencing. Yeah. So follow Emily and and do your bit to support this work that she's doing and share her work and be really proactive about that because it's going to change people's lives and I don't say that lightly and I'm really first of all thank I mean I didn't I, you can never tell what an episode's <laughs> going to be like I personally <clears throat> have f felt that this is a really important episode yeah. and a really powerful episode mm -hmm. Um, I'm so grateful because you traveled two and a half hours to be here as well. I always say that if someone's come a long way because people don't realize the amount of effort that goes into just doing one of these podcasts. Mm. Uh, I don't do them online because the energy is never the same. No, and I love doing it in person. It's so much better. It's so much better. And I, I'm so appreciative that people are, first of all, willing to come all this way to come on um, and, you know, to be willing to be vulnerable and to give so much mm. in relatively short period of time, yeah. you know, and, and, I'm really grateful that our paths have crossed and I would love to work with you actually I know, um, and cross paths professionally because I think I knew, there's yeah I knew when you rang me I was like this woman gets it yeah. I think there is people that get it and yeah. that are that kind of that way thinking and just are naturally more curious or just I I feel like when I meet somebody like I can 
very quickly know if they're if there's a power there yeah like there's something like a good energy there um I that's just kind of the way I interact with people in general like I think it's really powerful but yeah I've I felt like that too like when when we spoke on the phone yeah because I don't think I would have agreed to come on if I'd have thought, yeah. are you just going to want to talk about how we get kids to sleep? Because yeah. <laughs> that, that you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> it would have been, well, there would have been virtually nothing in yeah, there. No. Because we could talk about that and repeat the same old, you know. Yeah. But this is... And I, we have talked about, we have, th- this is how we get children to sleep. Yeah. But I didn't know what kind of wavelength, like what angle, you know, that's important. Yes, That somebody's willing to listen to what I've got to yeah. say. And, 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 the the episodes on the whole you could like I say you can never know but the idea is that we connect through the stories mm. but the stories are always full of information that other people just don't know no. and I don't think of myself as a straight down the line therapist I, no. I, I am a little bit of a rebel to be honest yeah and I like to disrupt the flow of what other people have been introduced to because for their own benefit exactly it's got nothing to do with exactly. me it's for them and then at yeah. least the information's them they can do with that yeah what they like yeah that information is the most powerful thing that we can have yeah. you know if you don't have the information you don't know exactly and I say to people that feel like they've made the wrong decision about parenting or, ch- or you do the you will only ever do the best with the information yeah. that you have yeah. so don't punish yourself and yeah. don't feel guilty is a wasted emotion in that sense because you can't you did what you thought you should have done. Yes. All I'm doing is giving you extra information and a different angle that actually does make a lot of sense. Yeah, it's so much sense. Yeah. It's so powerful. And it's really good to see parents go through the process. And I, I think at first some people are a bit like, okay, I don't really know what, how this is going to go. And then four days in, they're like, how? I d- everybody needs to know that the only thing we've done here is change a bottle tea and stop him taking an air or all we've done is done some oral play exercises or taken them to an osteo or changed the milk from uh, hydrolyzed to amino acid because they're struggling with dairy. Like sometimes it's that simple. And and yet the information, and I always Mm. say this actually about what I do as well. I'll give a lot of information, talk a lot about the brain, but then I say to them, look, I know this sounds complicated, but the methods that we use are actually really simple, but I like to give you the information Mm. so that if I do decide to use EMDR with someone, they, they understand what is going to happen and how it's going to happen. And why you've come to that decision. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, with clinical hypnotherapy, you know, this person, like you you were saying there about being in constant fight flight, there may be nothing more than just the deep need for some really hardcore relaxation yeah. which can be a reset button need that in my life yeah <laughs> I mean again like you I look at all the angles and I'm just like yeah dip, 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 you're dip. unpicking yeah, yeah I can see it <laughs> you're like I know what'll help <laughs> it's so it is simple but it's also giving yourself permission yes. to go down that road yeah but I mean Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm getting religious now. I'm not actually religious, but that for you coming here today and sharing it with this and this audience and, and beyond actually, because I, I hope there's a lot of shares from it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you so much. And please, 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 please seek her out. Please support her because what she's doing is massively important. Thank you. And we will see you hopefully again in some way because I've got some ideas I want to chat through oh, with you at the end. <laughs> thank you, Emily. No problem. Thank you.